Hello and welcome to Unbreak Your Health, the podcast program about the world of hope and health known as complementary and alternative medicine. I'm Alan Smith in Plano, Texas, author of Unbreak Your Health, the complete guide to complementary and alternative therapies. And today our topic is biofeedback, and our guest is John G. Arena, Ph.D., president of the Association for Applied Psychophysiology and Biofeedback. Dr. Arena is also the lead psychologist at the VA Medical Center in Augusta, Georgia, and professor of psychiatry and health behavior at Medical College of Georgia. I understand that the concept of biofeedback was originally introduced at a conference in Santa Monica in 1969, and that it was really a coming together of several different fields at that point. It was hoped that people could create their own health in the beginning and use it as a way to achieve higher consciousness, wasn't it? Actually, the term first arose in, in 1961, when a very famous psychologist uh, name of Neil Miller began to wonder whether the autonomic nervous system could be volitionally controlled. If uh, you remember back to, uh, for high school biology, the autonomic nervous system contains things like heart rate and blood pressure and blood flow, as well as gastrointestinal activity. And up until that point, it was assumed that these things were not able to be controlled voluntarily. And he, in a series of beautifully methodologically elegant studies, Dr. Miller demonstrated that, yes, these autonomic thought processes could be controlled using mental means. As a result of those experiments, biofeedback was created. And what biofeedback is, is using nowadays a machine that allows a therapist to monitor a patient's bodily responses generally things like surface muscle tension or surface skin temperature or brainwave patterns. And information concerning the patient's physiological responses are then relayed back to the patient, generally either through an auditory modality, a tone that goes higher or lower depending upon, say, the uh, electrical activity of the, the muscles increasing or decreasing, or a visual mod- a modality, a, uh, usually a computer screen nowadays, where, for example, a person's surface skin temperature is uh, sampled and then graphed on a, a second-by-second basis in real time. And it's hoped that by getting this feedback, this biological or physiological feedback, the patient is going to learn how to control his or her bodily responses through mental means. So do these biofeedback machines measure just one thing or all of them, or does it change by what the problem that they're trying to address is? Absolutely. It changes by what the problem is that you are trying to address. Now, the biggest use of biofeedback these days is with chronic pain, And uh, it's probably been most validated with both tension and migraine headache. And you would use two different types of biofeedback depending upon what type of headache the person has. For example, with tension headache, it's traditionally been assumed that tension headache is caused by elevated levels of muscle tension in the forehead and the neck and the shoulder regions, 
And through the use of biofeedback, in terms of EMG biofeedback, the patient learns to decrease their muscle tension levels, and that leads to a decrease in their headache activity. Now, for migraine headache, it's traditionally been assumed that there's a two-stage process involved in migraine. The first stage is, the, is vasoconstriction of the temporal arteries and arterioles. So what you get is less blood flowing through the temporal artery, and that causes the pre-headache symptoms, sometimes called the aura or the prodrome, that about 10% of migraineurs get. Those are the squiggly lines that they see, the flashing lights, the speech disturbances, the tingling in their arms and hands. And then it's believed that what causes the actual pain of the migraine is going from the constricted state to a suddenly dilated state where the blood just gushes through the temporal artery and arterioles, and that causes the pulsating or the throbbing or the pounding characteristic of the migraine headache. And it's believed that by giving people feedback on their blood flow, you can prevent the first stage from ever occurring. And the way you give people feedback on their blood flow is by giving them hand surface temperature biofeedback. When you warm your hands, you're dilating not only the blood vessels in your hands, but the blood vessels in your temporal artery and arterioles. So if you can scan your body routinely and notice when your hands are getting cold and start warming your hands using temperature biofeedback, you will prevent the migraine from ever occurring. Do we know how these changes occur or how people actually learn to control their bodies? The changes occur, obviously it's a cognitive process that the change occurs. For learning to occur, you must have a, a, a cognitive grasp. And the way they, the change occurs is by getting the feedback. People figure out through a trial and error basis what works and what doesn't work. And there are a number of strategies that people can use to master the biofeedback response. If you'd like, I can give you a number of the strategies, Alan. That'd be great. Please. Oh, sure. Uh, many of the strategies that people use are based on relaxation techniques, but not all of them. For example, probably the most common strategy that people use to master biofeedback is a relaxing imagery strategy. In this strategy, you imagine a pleasant relaxing scene, generally a nature scene, and it's believed that by imagining this scene, you're relaxing both your body as well as your mind, and that's one way to master the biofeedback response. Another way that people try to gain mastery over the physiological response is by saying some relaxing phrases to themselves, things like, my mind is quiet, my whole body is relaxed and warm. I feel an inward quietness. I can feel myself settling deep into the chair. Relaxing phrases are a very common way that people learn how to master the biofeedback response. Other strategies that people use 
are basically to tune into the physical feelings themselves. So, for example, if you were doing hand surface temperature biofeedback in which you would be wanting to increase your hand temperature because increased hand temperature means decreased autonomic arousal, what you would be doing is trying to focus in on the feelings of warmth in your fingertips to try to feel the warmth flow down your arm into your hands. If you were doing muscle tension biofeedback, what you would be trying to do is try to focus in on the sensations of tightness and tension in that particular muscle group that the senses are attached to and try to let yourself realize what it's like when those muscles smooth out, loosen up, unwind, and relax. Other strategies that people have, have used very successfully are breathing strategies, trying to take deep, slow, relaxing breaths and fill your chest and your belly with, with air. That's a, a very effective strategy, particularly if you combine that with a relaxing word. And the, the word does not necessarily have to do anything with relaxation, although the most common words are relax or peaceful. But, you know, when I use that strategy, I use words that have nothing to do with the concept of, re, of relaxation, but I just like the sound of the word. I find certain words very relaxing in and of themselves, words like stream or plum or amber or peach. I just think those words sound very pleasant, and those are the words I use when I'm doing a, a breathing strategy. I pair those words with exhalation. Other strategies are to focus in on a color or to try to make your mind a blank to think of nothing. That's a strategy that's difficult to do, but if you can do that, it's called mental nothingness. If you can stop yourself from thinking and think of nothing, that's a very, very effective strategy. Uh, most people can't do it, but if you're one of the lucky few, that almost always works if you can do it. Now, there's one thing that's very, very important for people to realize when they do biofeedback, and that is they need to try very, very hard not to try very hard. When people have a hard time grasping biofeedback, it's usually when they're putting forth an awful lot of effort to try to make the response happen, to try to force it to happen. And that's actually very, very counterproductive. The thing to do with biofeedback is to just let it happen. It will happen. Don't try to force it or make it happen. Listeners, if you're enjoying this podcast, then you'll love my new book. The second edition of How to Unbreak Your Health is your map to the world of complementary and alternative therapies. It features a new user-friendly format and 339 new and updated listings in 150 different categories. And you can get it on Amazon.com or at your local bookstore. Besides chronic pain... What other types of health problems respond well to biofeedback? Oh, gosh, there's, there's a lot of things that respond well to biofeedback. General anxiety and stress is a very common use for biofeedback, and I think that biofeedback has clearly been demonstrated to reduce 
people's anxiety level and help them deal with their stress a lot better. Some form of biofeedback or relaxation is the foundation of any anger management regimen. If you're having trouble with uh, your anger, you, you need to learn how to relax, and relaxation therapy or biofeedback are very, very effective strategies there. Similarly, high blood pressure has been demonstrated to be helped with biofeedback particularly hand surface temperature biofeedback, uh, very effective for high blood pressure, particularly systolic blood pressure. Sleep problems, particularly insomnia and early morning awakening, have been shown to be helped considerably by biofeedback. Biofeedback or relaxation therapy are an integral component of any non-medication-based sleep treatment program. In addition to those, a type of biofeedback called neurofeedback, or sometimes called brainwave feedback or EEG feedback, has been found to be very, very effective in terms of treating epilepsy and attention disorders, particularly attention deficit disorder in children. Biofeedback isn't strictly used as a therapy today. It's also being used in other ways to train athletes, for example, isn't it? Absolutely. And the belief is that biofeedback does two things with the athlete. The first thing is that it reduces the athlete's situational stress, and when you do that, you get an increase in athletic abilities. The second thing is that it allows the athlete to focus better. And when you get into the elite athletes, the ability to focus and concentrate your attention is probably 90 to 95% of the battle. Because for most athletes, they'll tell you that their biggest impediment is themselves. Are there differences between professional biofeedback machines and those that might be available to the average consumer on the Internet? There are differences, but the ones that are available on the Internet are fairly effective. The primary difference is is that the professional ones are usually a, a lot more sensitive and the professional ones allow you to display more types of feedback as well as allow you to store your data. Generally, the biofeedback devices that are available to the layperson don't allow you to store your data and give you a relatively simple type of feedback. For example, it it may simply be a continuous tone. But those devices do work. They don't work as well, I believe, as a therapist coaching a person, but they do work, and people have had a lot of symptomatic relief with devices that are available to the layperson. What kind of training does it take to become a biofeedback practitioner? Well, there's a lot of ways that you can become a biofeedback practitioner. Okay. Lots of folks have had training within their profession. For example, lots of psychologists, I'm a psychologist, have had a lot of training when they were in graduate school. 
But there are a lot of uh, certification programs out there, and uh, a lot of people go the certification route. For example, the most common certification, and I think the best, is from the Biofeedback Certification Institute of America. And anybody who is interested in learning more about the Biofeedback Certification Institute of America can simply go on the web and type in bcia.org and it will tell you what is required for certifications. Where can someone find a good biofeedback practitioner? Well, I think probably the best way to find a good biofeedback practitioner is to go to the Association for Applied Psychophysiology and Biofeedback, which is the primary organization for biofeedback therapists, and to look at their membership roster. That's certainly what I would do. I'd also go and look at the BCIA, the Biofeedback Certification Institute of America website, and see if that individual is certified. What kind of research has been done on the health benefits of biofeedback? Oh, there's been a tremendous amount of research. The thing that's so wonderful about biofeedback, Alan, is that the only side effects of biofeedback are positive side effects. And it's very rare that you can say that about anything in medicine these days. But the health benefits are a general feeling of well-being, and you get a a tremendous sense of mastery. When you learn how to control your blood pressure, when you learn how to control your muscle tension, when you learn how to control your hand surface temperature, when you learn how to control your respiration rate, when you learn how to control your heart rate, when you learn how to control your brain waves, you get a tremendous sense of mastery. And that can't be discounted. That is just a a wonderful feeling. We also get improvements in sleep patterns. We get decreases in blood pressure. We get decreases in gastrointestinal problems, particularly people who have problems like irritable bowel syndrome or excessive gas or wind see improvement there. Other health benefits from biofeedback involve a perception of uh, less anger. You just feel just better in general, and I think that you're much less irritable when you've mastered biofeedback. Dr. Rena, I'd like to thank you for taking the time to talk with me about biofeedback tonight. Alan, I appreciate it much. Anyone wanting to learn more about biofeedback and psychophysiology should check out the association's website at www. Dot aapb.org. You've been listening to the podcast edition of Unbreak Your Health, discovering the world of hope and health known as complementary and alternative medicine. I'll be back again next week with another edition, but to learn more about our guest today, please visit the podcast page at www.unbreakyourhealth.com. We'd love to hear from you about this program. Please send your questions and comments to info at unbreakyourhealth.com. This program is a joint production of Unbreak Your Health and Loving Healing Press. Thank you for listening. I'm Alan Smith, and I look forward to being with you again soon.